Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Working our way through Matthew 3 where John is preaching and Jesus is about to come upon the scene and I, I just... The thing about the words we've sung and the, the images that's brought to mind about Christ. So once again, we'll find today in the text we're about to read, God at work with prophetic pre- precision to bring about the coming of Christ onto the scene of human history. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Our focus will be on verse 3 today. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would grant us uh, understanding as your Holy Spirit seeks to illuminate this passage for us today. Father, I pray that you would have great, great freedom in our midst, that you would draw us uh, even deeper into your presence now as we encounter you through your word. We thank you for the, the way you do that so faithfully. And so, Father, it's my prayer today, once again, that you would please speak to us from your word, because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we uh, come into Matthew chapter 3, as we have, in verse 1, we have uh, the man, John the Baptist. He's introduced there to us. He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Throughout history, when God is about to do something fresh and new in a locality or in a nation or around the world, it typically has begun through his hand upon a man with a burden on his heart delivering the message of God. And so that's, that's not a small thing when it says in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Then you have his message, the man, then the message, and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His whole message was focused on the person of Christ and his arrival among the people. This would be a once-in-eternity event where Christ would come. And his message would center 
on him the kingdom of heaven is at hand because the king had come. And then in verse 3, we have his mission. There's a shift from describing the current events and now applying a, a prophecy to the life of John the Baptist, pointing back some 700 years when Isaiah made this statement, Matthew, under the inspiration of God says, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. For this is he of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke. The only reason John the Baptist had been prophesied by Isaiah is because he would join with Isaiah and all the other prophets that had pointed forward to the coming of Christ. And it was his pointing to Christ that brought great significance to his life and to us as well as Christ came to be our Savior. And what a joy it's been to celebrate that today. And so I want us to think about how John the Baptist pointed people to Jesus. I think that's the, the basic desire of our hearts that, that we would be used by God having come to Christ in a personal relationship that he would use us to point others to him. John the Baptist's responsibility was simply to gather a crowd by the message that people would repent and turn to God and ask that to Jesus. In his words, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. I think that's the crying need of our day is for believers to decrease in order that Christ might increase in his influence and in the salvation of people around us. And so that's our goal is to point people to Jesus. So I believe there are four things involved in this that come out of this passage. First of all, that requires that we connect the dots. Let me explain that. That's what Matthew is doing in verse three at the very beginning. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying. There have been other times in scripture where a believer pointed to the scripture and connected the dots in that moment so that people could understand what was going on from God's perspective and on God's calendar. You remember on the day of Pentecost when they began to speak the gospel and all the different languages represented? People began to poke fun at them and say, uh, these are drunk. Peter stands up and says, these men are not drunk as you suppose, but this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what the prophet had spoken would happen. He begins to put it into a scriptural perspective. We need today to be people who are able to connect the dots in our circumstances and world events with the calendar of eternity. We need to use that to connect the dots so that people understand their need for Christ. 
That was exactly what John the Baptist would do. He, he helped them to see a bigger picture that this would not be something that would transpire in a military sense or an economic sense, but in a spiritual sense, God had come in the form of man and Christ would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And so here, Matthew, under the inspiration of God, is connecting that dot. He's saying this is not a madman uh, raging out in the wilderness with some strange message that's disconnected from reality. This is not some man trying to establish a new religion based upon his personality and ability to manipulate people, but this is the one that was spoken of by the prophet who would have come before the one who would be the Messiah. Do you see how he connected the dots there? I love that phrase, this is he. So just think about this. Think about John the Baptist, this is he who was sent to say, this is he. Isn't that a great picture? That's what we've been sent to do. When we come to Christ, somebody said to us, this is he, this is the one. Everything you're looking for to give you peace and satisfaction and love and hope and help is found in him. This is he. And so Matthew is saying here, this is he who came to say, this is he for the very first time, pointing to capital H, capital E, he, Jesus, as the savior of the world. Have you ever wondered why people in the world can't connect the dots? I mean, you look at the ungodliness in our nation. And you see how we are self-destructing and you, you wonder, can, can people not see this? They, they, they fight good and, and godliness in order that they can self-destruct. We, we say as a nation, things that are wrong are right and things that are right are wrong. And, and you wonder, how, how does that happen? Well, a person apart from Christ can't make that connection. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, uh, the scripture must be spiritually discerned and the natural man cannot understand it. In Romans 10, it says, how can they hear without a preacher? Somebody's got to connect the dots. And we might think, well, if, if I go to church enough, if I live my life good enough, then they'll connect the dots. They, they don't look at your life and say, well, they must have come to a point where they realized they were separated from God in their sin and they repented of that sin and they, can't, they don't make that connection. We have to make that connection. We have to connect the dots for them. They see us standing in the midst of grief and we have peace in our hearts and they think, well, 
you're a stronger person than I am. And the reality is we are just as weak, if not weaker than they are, but we serve a God who strengthens us and fills us with a peace that surpasses all understanding and it guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. They see a joy in our lives amidst pain and suffering and, and they they think, well, they're a happier person. That No, no, no. God through Christ has given us a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. They see us loving someone who is unlovable and unloving toward us. And they, they think, well, you are stronger than me. No, I'm weaker than you are, but I serve a God who has poured out his love on me and through me to those around me. Do you see how we have to connect the dots? And so when John the Baptist came preaching, if this story was just told about him out in the wilderness delivering a strange message in an unauthorized setting for him and that religious day. Do you see how many would not have connected the dots, but he came in prophetic precision at just the right time to be the one to say, I am he who has come to say, this is he who has come to save you. So if we're going to point others to Christ, we have to connect the dots. Does that mean I go around preaching all the time? No, when God opens a door, a question is asked, a statement is made, then in that moment, I am open to sharing that. And sometimes people who say the least are heard the clearest at that moment when they connect the dots. Well, then we go into the life of and the message and the mission of John the Baptist in the next part of that verse. Not only is there a need to connect the dots, but there is a need to break the silence. It says there, this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. We've referred to it before. But the initial role of John the Baptist was to break the silence. There have been some 400 years of prophetic silence. And here God speaks afresh through a, a prophet. And in doing so, he breaks the silence in order to put the focus on the fulfillment of all that was said by the other prophets about the one who would come. He was a voice crying in the wilderness. I believe it was Amos, the prophet, that prophesied that there would be a famine of the hearing of the word of God. There would be a, a famine of the hearing of the word of God. Have you noticed sometimes the Bible is everywhere but nowhere? You think about people that are in churches today where, where it appears the Bible is, is everywhere, but it's really nowhere in what they're doing. It would be so easy to go through the motions and, and set aside the word of God, but, but each week we come to, to break the silence in our lives and in our culture we come to be recharged because our job is 
similar to that of John the Baptist to break the silence because there is a famine of hearing the word of God in our day. This prophecy comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. This is at a very strategic place in the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah is like a microcosm of the Bible. If you look at the prophecy of Isaiah, there are 66 chapters in Isaiah. You know how many books there are in the Bible? 66 books. In the Old Testament, there are 39 books. They speak foreshadowing, picturing, vague understandings of who the Messiah would be. In the Old Testament, that's what we have in those early chapters, those first 39 chapters of Isaiah. You find foreshadowings and hints about the Messiah. But then when you come to the New Testament, the last 27 book, it's clear descriptions, tangible understandings of who Jesus is. And that's what happens in the transition beginning in those last 27 chapters. It's similar to the New Testament there in Isaiah. And it begins in chapter 40, three verses in with a prophecy about the one who would herald and announce the coming of Christ. But the whole focus begins in verse one of Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort ye, comfort my people. Verse three says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Each gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, connect Isaiah 40, verse 3, with the person of John the Baptist. There is no doubt that that was the focus of his life and ministry, to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight, the paths of the Lord. One commentator says this, he was only a voice, but what a voice he was. He can be heard yet across the centuries. Now picture that. Here's a man who is simply there to introduce someone else. If I were to ask you who the most impressive speakers you've ever heard and you were able to tell me, oh, I heard this man speak, and he, he did this, he said this, and I asked you, who introduced him that night? I don't remember. The only introductions we might remember are the ones that were done poorly. But here, John the Baptist's whole role in his life was simply to introduce Jesus, but he did so in such a powerful, impressive way in the fulfillment of prophecy that that he left his lasting mark and message upon anyone who would hear the story of Jesus. Just think about this. God was the speaker, but John was the voice. 
It wasn't that John contrived some message that he would deliver. It wasn't that he came up with some creative way to talk about Jesus. It was that he, in his walk with God, had been impressed in his heart with a message and he would deliver that as the voice, but God would be the speaker through him. And the message always flows through a messenger. That's how we break the silence. We help people see their need for Christ. We, we help them hear what God has said on a subject, not in a proud way or a condemning way, but just sharing the truth, breaking the silence. And so, so that's what John the Baptist does. That, that message was just flowing through a messenger who had made himself available to God. Here's what I want you to think about for a moment about John the Baptist. The message did not just come through his lips, but through his life. This message was 30 years in the making. I'm often asked, how, how long does it take you to prepare a sermon? Well, from the time of my salvation till now, would be about 49 years it took me to, to bring this message. Because God has to shape the messenger, doesn't he? The person teaching in a small group today or later this week, that they are not only to deliver a message through their lips, but God wants to deliver a message through their life. So here's John the Baptist living a life of obedience, a life of vulnerability and transparency before a crowd that he might introduce Jesus. And it was a message 30 years in the making where God would, would shape his heart and shape his life and prepare him not to deliver a vast, eloquent message, but simply to say specifically those words, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what has to transpire in a heart to deliver a message like that? Well, first of all, John the Baptist had to come and understand he was not the Christ. He was not the answer. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? We think, well, we're the answer. We've got to figure this out. We've got to work this out. We've got to fix everybody around us. The reality is we can't fix anybody or anything. Only Christ can do that. He had to come to understand that, that he would never be number one. He would always be number two. Jesus would say there's no greater one born among women than John the Baptist. But the reality was Jesus was referring to mere men, not the God-man whom he was. Can you imagine parents or grandparents wanting to hear you say, that's the second cutest and second smartest kid I've ever seen. But God had to shape Zacharias and Elizabeth's heart to, to bear that, that weight of knowing their, their son would never 
measure up to the one that he would point to. All of that had to happen. And then, then he had to understand that he was in desperate need of the sacrificial lamb of God for forgiveness of his sin. He would not be a sinless instrument to point to the sinless savior, but, but yet God would use him anyway in spite of his failure. And, and that had to be shaped into his life. Now, I'm not saying we have to wait till we've arrived to deliver the message, but at every juncture in our life, God is shaping us to break the silence in someone's life with whom we can relate through pain or through failure, and we relate to them, we break the silence, and we speak a word on behalf of Christ. We have a spiritual conversation. We live a life that directs them to ask a question, perhaps, but we break the silence. Now, I've shared with you that I am a rather timid person. I've learned how to overcome some of that, but it's still not my nature just to walk into a room, work a room, share the gospel with everybody in the room, dust my hands off and walk out. I've had to develop the, the mindset of in my daily life, asking God, is this when you want me to break the silence? If it is, you gotta give me the focus here. And he's faithful to do that. And for me, when he puts that on my heart, it's a sin for me to be silent. But, if in my pride, I'm trying to, to throw something on someone, that could be a sin as well, couldn't it? But we're to break the silence, and that's what John the Baptist did, connect the dots, break the silence. Then we're to prepare the way. Notice what it says there in verse three of Matthew three. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, early on, at John's birth, his father had echoed the prophecy that came out of Isaiah 40, verse 3. In Luke chapter 1, verse 76, his mouth is open to speak, having been closed because of his unbelief, Zacharias is now about to speak and he's speaking prophetically over his newborn son. And this is part of what he says. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Now think about Zechariah for a moment. The angel has told him this. The Old Testament scripture has prophesied this. But now in the depths of this elderly man who has been disbelieving when the angel first spoke to him, under the inspiration of God, 
prophetically speaking over his son, he says, yes, you will be the one who goes before the highest, before God the Son, and you will deliver a message on his behalf and you will be used by God to prepare his ways. So what does it mean to prepare the way? Here's what it means for me. Everywhere I go, I bring Jesus with me. That seems rather simple, doesn't it? If you're a believer, a follower of Christ, a repenter who has repented of your sin, trusted Christ, been transformed by his grace and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, and his spirit indwells you, then everywhere you go, Jesus comes with you. There's no place you will go outside the person of the Holy Spirit's presence. Now, can he be quenched? Yes. Can he be grieved? Yes. But our goal is everywhere we go that Jesus comes with us. In our hearts and minds, there at the very central focus of everything about us, Jesus is there. And so just like having another person there with me, I acknowledge his presence and my goal is to draw attention not to me, but to him when given the opportunity to do so. And so when John the Baptist came to preach, he didn't say, here's how to survive in the wilderness. Five easy steps to conquer the wilderness on your own. No, he wouldn't have done that, but can't you see preachers of our day in that setting doing that? Here's, here's four quick ways to deal with loneliness. I've done a lot of that in the wilderness, John could say. Here's four steps to conquering loneliness in your life. Here's three ways to gather a crowd and eloquently address them. I mean, he could have talked about anything. He could have said, here's how to survive life as a PK, a priest kid. That wasn't his call. His call was to focus on Jesus. And every man who enters a pulpit Today in our nation has one job and one job only, and that is to bring Christ there and to preach the word of God and how it impacts the lives of people who put their trust in Christ, people who have yet to put their trust in Christ. The ultimate goal every time I come in the pulpit is to bring Jesus with me. Every conversation we have, we have to be actively aware of our emptiness, our lostness apart from Christ and with his power in us, be prepared to prepare the way for others to come to him. Now, John was a desert prophet who prepared the way for Jesus Christ and who in the wilderness made a highway for him. Someone describes it that way. So here's where he is. 
He's in the wilderness. The place people avoided unless they simply and desperately had to cross it. It was a place where few were found. It was a place where it was not desirable, but that's where God had placed him. And out in that physical wilderness, he would be the one that would prepare the way for Jesus to arrive into a spiritual wilderness to bring about health and life spiritually in a world that was desperate for it. So that wilderness somehow is symbolic of the culture in which he would speak. He was a voice crying in the wilderness. In a sense, it wasn't just that physical wilderness. It was a spiritual wilderness where there seemed to be no life. It seemed to be lifeless and hopeless, but into that world, he was sent to bring the gospel. And the reality is, God's plan has not changed. Out of the wilderness of our own existence, we bring a message into the wilderness of our culture that Jesus gives hope. We might say, well, there, there's probably better ways to communicate that. No, the only way that's ever been given is to, to share that verbally with people, to prepare the way. So what does this have to do with us? John the Baptist was preparing a way for Christ to come behind him into people's lives just before his first coming. You know where all of us live? Just before his second coming. Do I have an inside understanding when that is? No. I, I have one inside insight, and that is he's coming. And it's our responsibility to prepare the way for the Lord. We want to take as many people with us as we can. We want to turn as many people to Christ as we can. We, we want to prepare the way of the Lord. We want Christ to enter our community in a fresh way. We're not just asking him to do that in our church, but in other churches where the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached. And part of that is preparing the way through godly lifestyles and hunger for holiness and, and limitless love for others. We, we want to prepare the way for people to come to Christ. We don't want to clutter the way. We want to open it wide so that people understand Christ, not make it easy to believe, but make it clear to understand their desperate need for him. And so he was preparing the way, and that's our job as well as we contemplate the soon return of Christ. So connect the dots, break the silence, prepare the way. But then notice... Finally, he was magnifying the Messiah. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. He was there to make 
his way straight. He wasn't there to win the approval of the crowds. John the Baptist was not there to entertain them. John the Baptist was there to let them know of their great need for Christ and then say, here he is. Here's the answer. I had a roommate from college that had a, a career for several years where he simply went into Fortune 500 type businesses, created the need for the computer software that they sold, which was a large expensive package of software, but he would go in and create the need and then the salesman would come behind and deliver the goods, so to speak. Not to cheapen what's going on here, but that was John the Baptist's job. He was to draw their attention, the reality that there was something greater than the kingdoms of this earth. It is the kingdom of heaven. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and the, the kingdom is wrapped up in the King Jesus. And our desperate need is to repent and turn from anything in these kingdoms of the world to the King of the universe and the King of heaven, the King of the kingdom of heaven. That was his job, not to create the need, but to shed light on the need and to magnify the Savior to the point that they would understand he is larger than life because he is eternal and he has everything that you desperately need to be forgiven of your sin, to be delivered into the presence of the Father and to live eternally. So if you look back at Isaiah chapter 40, verse three and following, you find a little bit more about what was going on here. Verse three in Isaiah 40 says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places will be made smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here's the picture. If it's too high, it's brought down. If it's too low, it's brought up. If it's too rough, I know in Crockett, we can't relate to rough roads, but, but try to picture that. If it's too rough, it's smoothed. It's, it's prepared, completely prepared for the coming of the king. It's an image that, that was very common in the day of Isaiah. It was the idea of someone coming to visit that was royalty. We would call it rolling out the red carpet. Back in 1979, I had the opportunity as an 18-year-old to go on a mission trip to South Korea. They were, they had nearly every intersection was under construction, it seemed. They were reworking so many things. I, I just thought that the things were in disarray. And, and, and then 
Korean after Korean would ask me, do you know Jimmy Carter? The president was coming. The president of the United States was coming a few weeks after I left. And you're thinking, that might have been anticlimactic for everybody. No, it wasn't. They, they were looking forward to his arrival. But, but streets that, that appeared to be okay were, were being fixed and readied. Buildings were being cleaned and, and everything was getting ready for the arrival of the president of the United States. That, I, just could, I just stood in awe of that, that, that they would have that mindset and, and, and that attitude, getting everything ready, rolling out the red carpet, as we would say. So just think about the imagery here. They, they didn't have the transportation systems we do. But if the king was coming where you lived, you would clear it out. You'd make it ready. He would send people before him to to remove debris, to to get it clear so that the, the king could arrive safely and comfortably when he came. That's the picture here. Raising up what is too low, bringing down what is too high. Commenting on this, Richard Owen Roberts says this, repentance, turning from sin to Christ, repentance makes the path straight between the Lord and the repenting person. Repentance is like clearing a highway of holiness to and from God. Without repentance, no one can make their way to the Lord. For there are too many ups and downs, ins and outs, and devious ways in the unrepentant heart. Apart from repentance, the Lord will not make his way to us. Making straight the way of the Lord is always a prelude of his coming. In repentance, we clear our path to God. In granting us this repentance, God clears his path to us. Here's the picture. God has called us to repent and to come to him. Apart from that, we cannot come to him. There's no other option. You can't keep walking away from God. You can't keep living in rebellion and come to him. The only way you can come to him is to turn from all of that and to come to him on his terms. But the reality is that way has been cleared by the person of Christ for you to come to him. And when you relinquish all of this, you have cleared the way to come to him. That's what he's describing there. Richard Owen Roberts says that, that it's a way that is cleared by Christ for us to come to God through him. So what was John doing? He was magnifying the Messiah. It's, it's his ways that we're making straight. It's, it's preparing for his coming, and his arrival. The king is coming. You need to get ready, he says. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. The, the king is coming. He, he's on the scene. He's, he's 
He's right here on the edge of where we are. The king is coming. Get ready for his arrival, he's saying. And that's how we're to live our lives. We're to, to magnify that reality. Not in a trite way, but when someone says, I don't know what this world is coming to, we can say with all confidence, I don't know what this world is coming to, but I do know the king is coming to this world for his children. And there is hope only in him. I am not the answer, but I know the answer. And his name is Jesus. And his title is Christ. So the question is, are you willing to be available to connect the dots? Are you willing to break the silence when God challenges you to do that? Are you willing to be one who prepares the way? What that means in some senses is, are you willing to stop being a jerk so that people see Christ in you? One of the saddest things that ever happened in my life as a pastor, it's probably been 30 years ago almost, I invited somebody to church. And I know people make excuses and people make people their excuses. But I invited this person to church. And they said, oh, I, I know what church that is. Isn't that where so-and-so goes? And I said, yeah. And they said, that's exactly why I would never come. I have never met a more vicious gossip in my life. And they have done so much damage to me and my family. There is no way I could come into that building with them. Well, conversation ensued, but just think about that. I questioned that. I got to know the person that I understood. We don't want to be a stumbling block. We don't want to be a roadblock. We want to make the way straight, we want to prepare the way for his coming. It's not just with our lips, but with our life. And so here, John the Baptist with his lips and with his life is making the way clear for Christ to come. Someone has said, we should live in such a way during the week that what the preacher says on Sunday makes sense to people who know us. That's our goal, to point people to Jesus. Does that mean we're never going to fail? No, it doesn't. But that means openly admitting that and saying, hey, I, I did fail, but Jesus never fails. His forgiveness and love is always available when we turn to him. Do you know anyone that needs the path made straight to Christ for them? I have someone heavy on my heart right now. I, I'm not viewing myself as a Messiah, but I, I'm saying, Father, if, if you could use me in any way, would you use me to make straight that way for them? 
And I know you have people on your heart today. Let's allow God to use us to point people to his son. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.